0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Bill Maher, the HBO comic and social critic, has struck a blow for sanity. He did an interview with Kanye West. And here's what he told TMZ. The problem is, I think he appeals mostly, of course, he's a rock star to young people. They don't know much, and they surely don't know much about the Middle East or Jews. So the combination of, you know, Kanye out there, I feel like he was sort of helpful for spreading the fertilizer. And I do mean fertilizer for this idea that Israel and the Jews are like the worst people in the world. Marr goes on to say, I had Kanye right here at Club Random. We did an episode with him. I thought it was going to be a learning moment. I mean, we were here for two hours. By the way, we had an amazing fun time. He's a very charming anti-Semite. And as a result, the very charming anti-Semites interview with Mar has been spiked. It is not going to air. I'm sure Bill Mar, having invested the time, wanted to find a salvageable interview, but he didn't get one. Okay, the commissioner of the NFL has weighed in, Roger Goodell, saying, having the Swift, the Taylor Swift effect is a positive. Listen, both Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift are both wonderful young people. They seem very happy. She knows great entertainment, and I think that's why she loves NFL football. Okay, so he turns it into a bit of a commercial. Uh, Goodell goes on to say, I think it's great to have her a part of it. Obviously, it creates a buzz. It creates another group of young fans, particularly young women, that are interested and saying, Why is she going to this game? Besides Travis, she's a football fan, and I think that's great for us. In other Taylor news, her lawyers are threatening legal action against this Florida college student, you'll remember this guy's name when I go into it, who runs social media accounts tracking the flights of her and other celebrities. Private jets. Boy, that's really a great public service, isn't it? Jack Sweeney, uh, junior at the University of Central Florida, has done this for years, tracking the takeoffs and landings of planes and helicopters owned by hundreds of billionaires, politicians, Russian oligarchs, other public figures. He got into it with Elon Musk early on when Twitter banned Sweeney for sharing what Musk called his assassination coordinates. The accounts don't say who travels on the aircraft or where they go once the planes land. Of course, they don't have to. Sweeney's accounts have caused Swift and her family, quote, direct and irreparable harm, as well as emotional and physical distress, and heightened her constant state of fear for her personal safety. According to a letter written by her lawyer and sent to the home of Sweeney's parents, which shared the letter with the Washington Post. The lawyer went on to say, well, this may be a game for you or an avenue that you hope will earn you wealth or fame. It is a life or death matter for our client. This next little item is kind of abstract, but could turn out to be a huge deal. You have Fox Corporation, Warner Brothers Discovery, and ESPN, all teaming up to create a supersized sports streaming service that will offer content from all major leagues, uh, which could, oh, I don't know, reshape the sports and media landscape, according to this piece I'm looking at, be offered directly to consumers who would be able to stream all of their sports content. This is after a report in the Wall Street Journal about this new venture. Each of the companies will have one third ownership. And so the chief executives of these three conglomerates saying this would increase choice for fans and provide a service to those who have cut the cord to cable television or satellite or whatever, a milestone in the growth of the streaming industry. So sports has long been, you know, one of the, if not the, main attractions on getting a cable news subscription. The old bundle, you know. You want to subscribe? Yeah, we'll give you all the basic channels. We'll give you the entertainment channels. We'll give you the news channels. And we'll give you sports. We'll give you ESPN and Fox Sports and whatever else. But it's interesting because these are all media giants who have television networks, CNN, Fox, and ABC, and ESPN, owned by Disney. So, they're betting on streaming being the future, which, if this catches on, if it's popular, if a lot of people feel like, well, now they can just pay for what they want, even the kind of sports package they want, and not have to get a bunch of other channels they don't watch. Um... That would not be great news for cable news, but it would be very good news for these companies and very good news possibly for consumers and sports fans. I've long felt that, and this is also true with all the online subscriptions you need now to get Netflix, Amazon Prime, Max, Hulu, you name it, Apple TV. It's all getting to be too much, too expensive, even for people who really love movies and the original programming. And that more of an a la carte approach where you pick and choose what you want to subscribe to. Or you can subscribe to something for a day. You know, you want to see one particular documentary or event. Anyway, a lot more to unfold on that. So, yesterday, I was on Martha McCallum's show. Unfortunately, I was supposed to appear with Mark Thiessen on a panel about Biden basically staying off television, which was the subject of a column I have written that morning. I have no doubt that's why I was booked. And then Biden decided to use yesterday to go on television, and we'll get to all that. But that's not the unfortunate part. The unfortunate part is there was a problem with Mark Thiessen's feed or his microphone or something, and so they couldn't understand him, so I ended up doing the whole segment by myself, which, you know, I always like to talk. Maybe you get that impression from listening here, but I felt sorry, and I've been on the other end of that, where, you know, you, you go to work, and some piece of equipment isn't working. I had to switch the studios three times. First one turned out to be booked by someone else. The second one had a broken camera, and I made it to the last one, you know, shortly before airtime. Anyway, it was a good segment, I think, it's, and I've put it on my social media. But I'll circle back to that because there's so much news to cover, beginning with story number one. Maybe I should get a drum roll, not just have buzzers, or one of these like, da-da-da-da, with trumpets. I don't know. I'll take it under advisement. This was a bombshell. A federal po- appeals court ruling unanimously Three-judge panel, two Democratic appointees, one Republican appointee, that Donald Trump can be put on trial for trying to stay in power after losing the 2020 election. That's the lead from The Washington Post. What this was, was these three federal judges, in a very sharply worded ruling, rejecting the former president's claim of immunity, And when this was heard in January, they expressed concern about the implications of Trump's argument. This was the hearing where one of the judges asked the lawyer for Trump, well, under your explanation, couldn't a future president order the assassination of a political rival and then just resign before impeachment? So in this opinion yesterday, this was called an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. We cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power, the recognition and implementation of election results. Nor can we sanction his apparent contention that the executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and have their votes counted. So, Trump was appealing a ruling made by the trial judge, Tanya Chutkin. She's the one who's going to preside in D.C. over the January 6th trial. And, obviously, this is heading to the Supreme Court. In fact, this three-judge panel has given Donald Trump only until, only five more days, only until February 12th to ask the Supreme Court to intervene. But of course, all of these levels of appeal and so forth could have the net effect of delaying these cases until after the election. Like, this is the case where the judge was ready to go at the beginning of March, indefinitely postponed, And now the Supreme Court has to decide what to do. And the question is, how long will the Supreme Court take? So, uh, University of Texas law professor, Steve Vladek, quoted as saying that this opinion is as strong an argument against Supreme Court invention as there could have been but it's up to the justices. Even the lone Republican on this panel called it paradoxical that a president's duty to faithfully execute the laws would allow him to violate them. Um, Trump put out a statement on True Social saying it's absolutely vital for presidents to have immunity. And in effect they do because the Justice Department's policy is not to bring any criminal charges against a sitting president, but what about when you leave office? And that's what this is about. This is only half of what SCOTUS has on its plate. By the way, Vladek spoke to the New York Times for this. Tomorrow, there will be oral arguments, and there'll be an audio tape afterwards, about the other case that Trump was able to appeal directly to the Supreme Court. And that was, that is, the efforts by Maine and Colorado, and still brewing in some other states, to kick former President Donald Trump off the ballot this November. Based on, you know this, the arguments of the 14th Amendment, and was this an insurrection, and this was a Civil War era law. So... I'm sensing a split decision here. First of all, on the first case we talked about, the immunity question, Supreme Court could deny cert, meaning it doesn't take the case, and that would let the appeals court ruling stand, meaning Donald Trump would lose that battle. Or the justices may say, you know, this is such an important question for the country that we need to get involved, And then the question becomes, you know, how long does it drag on? If the Supreme Court were to do a quick hearing and issue a quick ruling, that would be one thing. If the Supreme Court lets this play out over a couple of months, it delays, I think, all of these cases, except maybe the Georgia and New York cases. The one first up now, this could change, is the Stormy Daniels case brought by Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, the weakest of the cases, the least important of the cases. That's a pretty wide consensus on that, which I join. But here's what I mean by my split decision. If the Supreme Court of the United States rules for Trump in saying he can't be kicked off the ballot as the likely Republican nominee, which I would happen to agree with, And I'll be shocked if the court does anything else. But rules against the former president on this question of total immunity, even once you're out of office, that would help the court. I mean, obviously, each justice will do what he or she thinks is right because it will be seen as somewhat even-handed. Trump wins one. Trump loses one. But obviously, it is hard to predict the future. If it was easy, I'd know what stock to go out and buy. And the civil fraud case in New York, which was supposed to have been decided by the end of January, is still dragging on. And the judge, Arthur Engoron, is now looking into the question of whether Alan Weisselberg, Trump's longtime chief financial officer in his business, uh, committed perjury, according to a new court filing. The New York Times said that Weisselberg was negotiating a potential plea agreement with the Manhattan DA that would require him to plead guilty to perjury. And the judge saying, of course, want to know whether Mr. Weisselberg is now changing his tune and whether he has admitted he lied under oath in my courtroom at this trial. So I know it's it's so many things to keep track of. Lawyers love this. If you have a law degree, um, this is right your wheelhouse. If you have a media degree, um, you know, look, there's a lot of journalists who are not lawyers, but who have covered a lot of court cases in their time. I used to cover the Justice Department. My first job, my first job on the Bergen Record in Hackensack, New Jersey, um, one of my first jobs was to make the rounds and cover the local courts and try to find newsworthy cases. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. So let's move on to story two. The House of Representatives had a very bad day yesterday. It's almost unbelievable. I mean, it is chaos, it is gridlock, it is dysfunction. You know, Mike Johnson, the Speaker, was pushing this impeachment proceeding against Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. Everybody knows that, well, first of all, politically, the border is a mess. It is out of control. It has been for three years. That's on President Biden. And Mayorkas undoubtedly played a role in it. I mean, he was giving testimony as recently as last year, saying the border is secure, when it is most obviously not. We have eyes, we have television cameras there, and you can see people coming across. So the House panel voted to impeach, and then it goes to the full House pushed heavily by the new speaker. And they don't have the votes. The impeachment effort fails on a vote of 216 to 214. New York Times described this as a stunning defeat for Speaker Mike Johnson, who thought he did have the votes. He's going to charge America's with high crimes and misdemeanors for failing to lock down the border. So... There were three Republican defections. Ken Buck of Colorado, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, and Tom McClintock of California, who basically argued, you know, you don't impeach the cabinet officer for carrying out the problems of the president, the policies, I should say, of the president. Hasn't been a cabinet officer impeached in 150 years. That was after the Civil War and the guy was accused of corruption and he resigned. So this was a stunt. And it was a useful political stunt from the GOP point of view because you want to keep the border in the news. So, oh, we're going after this guy. We're going to get a scalp. Now, because there's a Democratic-controlled Senate and you need a two-thirds vote to convict, Mayorkas was never going anywhere unless he decides to move on. And they just have this minuscule majority in the House, 219 Republicans, 212 Democrats at the moment. Remember, you have Kevin McCarthy's seat is vacant, you have George Santos's seat is vacant, and once those special elections are held, the Republicans will have a little more breathing room. But it must have taken a lot of chutzpah for these three Republicans to stand up against their own party and sink this impeachment effort. Now, Steve Scalise... Was out getting cancer treatment. He'll be coming back, so there's talk of bringing this up again. But I don't know. Unless there's something wrong with my math, even one more vote that doesn't take away anything from the other side will still cause this to fail by one vote. And is it worth all the energy and political capital? I mean, what ha- you know? I mean, you can see the Democrats' ads writing themselves. What has the House GOP accomplished since Republicans gave them a small majority. Um, They've passed continuing resolutions that don't cut spending, although they certainly have wanted to. They've brought impeachment proceedings, or at least inquiry, against President Biden that doesn't seem to be uncovering a lot of new evidence. They've tried to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. And then we'll get to the border bill in a second. So, Critics say, look, you, you, you remove the secretary, that's not going to bring about a change in the party administration's uh, border policies. Mike Johnson, major defeat, he left the Capitol without taking questions. Ken Buck said, I told each one of them, meeting his Republican colleagues, when this happens, the next time a Republican president is up, Make sure you remember what this does because it really degrades this place. Then, Johnson had this bright idea of bringing up a separate bill to provide military aid to Israel, but not Ukraine. That bill went down 250 to 180, far short of the two-thirds majority needed because of a special maneuver that was used. That would have provided Israel with 17 billion dollars. Story three, continuing on this very topic. The border bill, the bipartisan compromise that Republicans say they wanted, worked hard on for four months negotiating with Democrats in the Senate. It's now dead. The reason I know it's dead is that Mitch McConnell, who is a fierce supporter of military aid to Ukraine, and wanted to get this done with a border package as a way of getting it through Congress, said it's not going to pass. Not that he doesn't want it to pass, but that it is not going to pass. Telling reporters that this will not become law due to Mike Johnson's opposition. And is it Trump's fault? Remember, Donald Trump said, blame me, that's fine, it's a bad bill, it's a death wish for the GOP. Um... McConnell deflected that question. I'm not going to talk about the race for the presidency among Republicans. Most of our members feel we're not going to be able to make a law here. Now to the president's role. So as I mentioned in terms of the segment with Martha McCallum, and you've heard me talk about this, so I'll just briefly recap. You know, Biden doesn't go on TV when he launches retaliatory airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. Biden doesn't go on TV when there's a blowout jobs number. 353,000 new jobs in January puts out a statement. Biden turns down the Super Bowl interview. This one with CBS. For the second straight year. 15 minutes, usually pretty easy questions, a couple of harder questions. What? Who does that? And... South Carolina, not that, you know, I mean, it's almost essentially running unopposed, wins 96% of the vote. The average politician would give a speech. Get yourself on the tube. So, yesterday, Biden chose to get some TV time. I think a lot of this criticism is getting to him. And yet, it was such an odd choice. Because... He essentially was putting his prestige on the line for a bill that he had to know was going to fail. The guy was in the Senate for 36 years. He can count. He knew it was going down. He even acknowledged it in his talk on TV. What he wanted to do was blame Donald Trump. Donald Trump would rather weaponize the issue than have a solution. This is what Republicans said they wanted, but now they've changed their mind because of Donald Trump. And... The former president doesn't disagree with that. He is the leader of the party. He wields an enormous amount of clout. Now, when Biden got out there, um, he had a moment that sort of reinforced the view, perhaps, of of advisors who don't think he should be out there that much at 81. He was talking about, he he said, I'm taking no questions. Then he took a question on the Middle East, and he said... It goes to the question of American power. It all goes to, does America keep its word? Does America move forward? There's some movement, and I don't want to, I don't want to, well, maybe, choose my words. There was some movement, but th- there's been a response. There's been a response from the opposition, but it was agonizing to watch. And finally, a reporter says, Hamas? Yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas. Biden couldn't think of the word Hamas. Now, we've all blanked on things, those of us who appear on television. I've done it. Everyone's done it at some point. You can't come up with the name or which state was it. Um, Given the gravity of the Middle East war, it was kind of, um, it was just disconcerting that he couldn't think of the word Hamas. Also, he mixed up the late president of France, Francois Mitterrand died in 1996 and the current president of France, Emmanuel Macron. Now, I know Joe Biden tells the dif- uh, knows the difference, but the story was so convoluted, he was talking about what happened when he was first elected to the Senate and meeting with a French leader, which initially he said from Germany, no, I mean from France, and he was talking about Mitterrand, but it came off as he was talking about current day because the whole thing was just a jumble. So now they're even. Donald Trump, mixes up Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi and Biden has trouble distinguishing between two French leaders. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz was asked, should Mitch McConnell step aside as Senate Republican leader? as this border deal fell apart? Cruz's answer was yes. I think a Republican leader should actually lead this conference and should advance the priorities of Republicans. In other words, how dare McConnell try to get legislation passed by working with Democrats. But the Democrats control the White House and the Senate. That's just reality. That's just a fact. But, you know, Cruz has been a longtime McConnell critic. Here's a piece in Politico... Conservative hardliners once celebrated Mitch McConnell for wrestling the federal judiciary to the right and thwarting progressive hopes. Now he is under open attack from the right for even trying to work with Democrats on the border. McConnell, now nearing his 82nd birthday, remember he had those, I don't know if you'd call them mini strokes or just uh, a brief inability to speak, didn't help. He is determined to fund the Ukrainian war effort. So are many Democrats. So is President Biden. Without our continued support, and the Ukrainians are just... uh, facing setbacks on the battlefield in this long military and brutal struggle against Russia. Uh, So McConnell tells Politico... Um, I've had a small group of persistent critics the whole time I've been in this job. They had their shot. That was referring to Rick Scott challenging McConnell as leader just in 2022 and losing badly. The reason we've been talking about the border, says Mitch McConnell, is because they wanted to, the persistent critics. You can't pass a bill without dealing with a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate. Again, statement of fact doesn't matter whether it's coming from me or the White House or Mitch McConnell. So the New York Times does does this overview. Republicans in Congress suffered a humiliating series of setbacks yesterday on critical elements of their agenda, turning the Capitol into a den of dysfunction It has a certain ring to it, that has left several major issues, including U.S. military aid to Ukraine and Israel, in limbo, Amid political feuding. And it goes through many of the things that I've just discussed. The back-to-back defeats showed that while they are adept at thwarting action on critical issues, as at times they are hard-pressed to address any, the paralysis left the fate of AIDS, Ukraine, and Israel in peril. That's why this is such a huge deal. The border is equally important. Important Politically, it's also important You know, for the law-abiding citizens of this country not to have... Hundreds of thousands of people come into this country illegally. Rachel Maddow went off on MSNBC. Right now in our country, one of our two major political parties is dissolving itself, potentially preparing to oust yet another of its top leaders, all in the service of just doing stuff for their great leader instead of doing normal party stuff and normal democracy stuff. I mean, right now, Says, Maddo, we are very fast becoming, what we are very fast becoming is one party on one side and just a guy on the other. And you know who she's referring to. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Further political chaos. Story four. Rana McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Uh, She has told Trump that she's stepping down stepping down at the end of this month after the South Carolina primary. Now, is she stepping down because Trump has strongly hinted that he will probably replace her? Yes. Does she have a choice in the matter? No. Now, standard practice that when there is an apparent nominee in the party, as Trump may well be after South Carolina or at least after Super Tuesday, that person gets to pick who they want to be the head of the political committee, whether it's DNC or RNC. So this is not some uh, outrageous maneuver by Donald Trump. And she's been under pressure for months. And, you know, the RNC has had some uh, fundraising difficulties and so on. And Trump has a guy he wants to replace her. And that person's name is Michael Whitley. And the reason Trump likes him, according to this New York Times piece, he's a stop the steal guy. In other words, he endorses Donald Trump's unproven claims that the 2020 election was stolen. Whitley is from North Carolina and Trump thinks he did a good job in that state um, in 2020. Trump now uh, focusing very heavily on election security for this coming election, election integrity is their phrase all right, I'm just going to briefly touch on Nevada because I don't understand it i I, I got too many things on my mind there's a, there's a primary and a caucus for arcane reasons, and so in the caucus, which doesn't count toward delegates, Trump skipped it he's going to be in the primary. And there was a vote on Tuesday, and to the embarrassment, there's no other way to put it, for Nikki Haley, she finished behind none of these candidates. None led the way with 61% of the vote. Haley, about 32%, according to the AP. Now, it should be noted, although this is in dispute, that Trump forces were pushing none of these candidates as a way to embarrass the last remaining rival. And let's go back to, from story five, the Grammys. Tracy Chapman's rare public appearance at the Grammy Awards, where she practically stole the show, performing her 1988 song Fast Car with the country singer Luke Combs, which reminds me of the passing of Toby Keith, who was immensely popular, and uh, didn't have a chance to mention that yesterday as a country singer left many fans wondering why she had largely stepped away from music for more than a decade. When this happened, I said, you know, where has Tracy Chapman been? And I thought, well, maybe I just don't know. Well, um, this story in the Washington Post says that despite some scattered performances on TV and award shows, Chapman has remained almost entirely absent from the music world in recent years. Having released her last studio album in 2008 and done her last tour in 2009. Since she first emerged in the 80s, she's always been known as reclusive and a private figure. Here's what she told Irish Times back in 2015 Being in the public eye and under the glare of the spotlight was, and still is, to some extent, uncomfortable for me. There are some ways by which everything that has happened in my life has prepared me for this career, but I am a bit shy. And so, but that performance of that tremendous song, which is basically about homelessness, was a sign that she, you know, still has an emotional hold on a lot of people who like that and other songs she has done. So when she released her first album after Fast Car became a hit back in 1988, it went to number one on Billboard. Then she released seven more albums, but I... I kind of lost track of her at that point, I confess. Uh, The most recent one, described by New York Times music critic as a collection of morose love songs, as well as her latest utopian vision of a world without war or greed. And she's so private that even though she lives in San Francisco, most people in that city didn't even know that uh, until the Grammys of last Sunday. She's not part of the social scene or involved in politics seems to avoid major events. But man, she can write and she can sing. (coughs) So we are obviously in the uh, middle of an extremely heavy news period. Um, I had a conference call on the show today and we've, we've already got enough stuff to fill up two hours and it's only Wednesday. But thanks for sticking with us. Appreciate it as always. And You guys are great. So I'll be back tomorrow with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.